You're listening to We Can Do This, a podcast by the National Consumers League. We talk through the issues of today with the figures who have paved the way for social and economic reforms and those carrying on the fight for an equitable tomorrow. Your host for this episode is John Brailt, Vice President of Public Policy, Telecommunications, and Fraud at the National Consumers League. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the We Can Do This podcast. This is a production of the National Consumers League, and I am your host today. My name is John Brayot, and I am the Vice President of Public Policy, Telecommunications, and Fraud at the National Consumers League. If you're not familiar with NCL, we've been around since 1899, which makes us America's oldest consumer advocacy organization. We're based in Washington, D.C., and we advocate and educate consumers on a whole range of consumer protection issues. Today, during National Consumer Protection Week, we are thrilled to be welcoming my guest, Alyssa Betts. Alyssa is uh, the Director of Public Policy at Amazon, where she leads the company's brand protection and customer trust policy team. Longtime listeners of the podcast may recall last year's National Consumer Protection Week uh, when we had your colleague uh, Darmesh Mehta on talking about fraud and scams and how consumers can stay safe uh, while they're using e-commerce platforms like Amazon. We're thrilled to have another Amazonian back to talk to us about this issue. Just a little bit more about your background. Before you came to Amazon, you were the head of federal affairs with Verizon Media, where you worked on policy issues impacting media and the technology landscape. Before that, you did stints at Yahoo and on Capitol Hill. And you are, I was very pleased to see that you are a Howard University grad. So uh, that's a big deal for DC folks. Let's, uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and dive uh, right into the topic for today. You know, in preparation for today's podcast, I did some research, and it, it'll come as no surprise to the people listening that e-commerce has gotten huge during the pandemic. But exactly how huge is uh, maybe a surprise to some folks. Uh, last month, the U.S. Department of Commerce put out some statistics where there were 870 billion dollars in e-commerce sales in 2021. That's a 14.2% increase over 2020 and a 50.5% increase over 2019. If you're anything like me, uh, you have done a lot of shopping online during the, the pandemic and you know user reviews are incredibly important to me and I think to millions of consumers when they are doing that shopping. I know rarely do I make a purchase where I'm not reading both the positive and the negative reviews about a product. And unless I know that at, at the scale that Amazon is operating at, that you know managing all of these user reviews is a huge task in and of itself. But then you add in the scammers who are actively trying to put up fake reviews, misleading reviews for all kinds of, of malicious reasons, direct consumers to bad products, maybe make different sellers look bad. Can you tell me a little bit about how Amazon is, is handling that? And what should consumers be looking out for when they are looking at user reviews on Amazon? Yeah, this is a really great question. And we've seen some interesting changes over the last few years. And you may not know this, but in 1995, 
Amazon first started showing customer reviews right next to the product for sale. And at the time, some didn't understand why we would highlight both the good and bad feedback on the products in our store right next to the product. No one else was doing this. But to us, the answer was simple. We were obsessed with delighting customers over the long term. And that meant providing genuine product reviews that helped customers make purchase decisions, just like you said, and help give them the products that met their expectations. When people think about buying a product, they're likely to start by asking a friend for a recommendation. I mean, you you just said it. And we think of our customer reviews like asking a friend, except instead of just getting one person, there are millions of reviews that customers can easily access and sort through to get what they need to make their decision. So we know that authentic reviews help our customers make more informed purchase decisions. And they also provide sellers with a way to make their listings different from other sellers. But fake reviews don't do any of those things. They mislead our customers and they hurt small business sellers. So that's why we're committed to preventing and removing fake reviews. And we innovate and invest to make sure that only authentic reviews appear in our store. So how do we do this? Well, to start, we receive more than 30 million reviews each week. And we have more than 10,000 employees around the world who protect our store from fraud and abuse. And that includes looking at incentivized reviews. Our expert investigators use industry-leading tools to keep fake reviews from ever appearing in our store. And we adapt those tools whenever there are new vectors of abuse, those trends that we're seeing where bad actors are trying to do things. And we've seen evidence that our investments are working. In 2020, we stopped more than 200 million suspected fake reviews before they were even seen by a customer. And when I'm thinking about like new trends that we're seeing, thinking about sort of what we've come through in the last year since Sally and Darmesh talked, I think I would say that, you know, in, in recent years, unfortunately, a criminal industry has emerged that facilitates fake or inflated reviews in exchange for money or free products. And we call these fake review brokers, and they're masquerading as legitimate services. And they convince some sellers that they're necessary to help improve ratings and ultimately sales. We as Amazon strictly prohibit this practice. And we have teams of people who are dedicated to tracking these folks down and taking legal action against review fraudsters. And we've previously won dozens of injunctions against these fake review brokers. And when we get these injunctions, they are compelled to provide information about who's paying for these services. So just a few weeks ago, you may have seen this, we filed a lawsuit against two major fake reviews brokers, App Sally and Rebatist. These brokers tried to defraud shoppers by having their members try to post fake reviews in our store and in other stores like eBay and Walmart and Etsy. And our proactive actions to protect customers are so far bringing positive results. Uh, App Sally's US website is no longer offering incentivized Amazon reviews. So we're hopeful that other fake reviews brokers will 
take similar action going forward? Well, you know, the legal action, I think, is welcome. And some might say overdue for going after some of these fake review brokers. I guess that leads to the next question is, you know, you mentioned that these fake review brokers aren't just selling fake reviews on Amazon, but on Walmart and eBay and Etsy and other places. You know, how do you avoid the sort of what I like to call the whack-a-mole problem or the squeezing the balloon problem. You know, you get rid of fake reviews on Amazon, they just go to another place. Is that the sort of the biggest challenge that you all face in this? And then what are you doing with those other companies to try and address this problem? Yeah, well, we're always concerned about that whack-a-mole problem that you described, but we take our responsibility to monitor and enforce these policies very seriously because we want our customers to shop in our store with confidence. And we are an industry leader in preventing fraud and abuse. We can't do this alone, though. So when regulators, law enforcement, and social media sites and retailers work together, we think these fraudsters can be stopped. And it's a complex task, right? Fraudsters hide their activity from us, and they approach customers directly to solicit some of these reviews. And so what we do at Amazon is to actively monitor Uh, social media sites. And we regularly report abusive groups to the companies that run them. So for example, last year, we reported over 16,000 abusive groups to social media sites like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And because of this, uh, social media sites took down thousands of abusive groups with over 11 million members in them. So I think that's probably just the start Uh, We know this is a problem that we will have to tackle together and working to collaborate and to continue doing that reporting, working with regulators and law enforcement, with social media sites and retailers, uh, we can we can tackle this problem. Got it. Well, you know, uh, you know, as an organization at NCL that uh, we we work on fraud and and scams all the time. It's one of these games we talked about whack-a-mole where I feel like half the time what I'm just trying to do is just drive up the costs for the fraudsters until it becomes uneconomical for them to do what they do. And it kind of sounds like the work that you all are doing, both as Amazon and also in conjunction with the other groups that you talked about, is sort of, you know, aiming for that same goal, you know, looking for a day when it's more expensive to try and do fake reviews than it is to find something else to do. Is that kind of a way to, to sum up, you know, what you all are trying to do? Well, I think that is an approach, but what we're really trying to do is work with those participants in this ecosystem to make sure that we are tackling the problem holistically. So when we're identifying abusive fake reviews brokers in one area, we need to be talking to those companies who may be housing those actors to ensure that they're aware that that's happening and then they can take action. So I wouldn't describe it as necessarily a one-size-fits-all solution, but we think that bringing all of the players in this issue area together will yield the best results. Got it. We're talking about fake reviews. Let's switch gears a little bit. Now let's talk about fake products or counterfeits. So when Sally and Darmesh spoke last year, I think Amazon was engaged in a, in a pretty broad-ranging effort, along with, with many other partners, to try and, and tackle counterfeits and, and, and counterfeiters who are trying to sell their merchandise on, on Amazon and other platforms. Since then, have there been new trends that you've spotted or new tactics that the bad actors are employing, you know, in a nutshell, has it become 
harder for the counterfeiters on Amazon and safer for the consumers? Oh, I think we're making a lot of good strides in that area. And, you know, counterfeiting isn't new. It's existed in the back alleys and city streets for ages. And counterfeiters are criminals. And the unfortunate reality is that bad actors are going to continue to change their tactics and they're going to try and find new ways to engineer around our defenses. So, for example, we've seen increased abuse by bad actors on other sites, uh, like on social media platforms. We've seen them with third-party service providers and payment providers, and they try to promote and distribute infringing products. You may remember uh, reading about a civil lawsuit that we settled against social influencers and sellers who are working together to sell counterfeits through our store. And this case was really interesting because it was an example of how rapidly growing this trend is where we see individual influencers who are promoting counterfeit products on forums like Instagram and TikTok. So in this particular case, they posted side-by-side photos of a generic non-branded product and then a luxury counterfeit product. And on the generic non-branded product side, it said, order this. And on the get this side was the luxury counterfeit product. And by posting only the generic product on Amazon, the social influencers and then the sellers that they were coordinating with were clearly trying to evade our strong anti-counterfeit protections. They knew they couldn't get it through us. So instead, they went over to the social media site to make it apparent what they were really promoting and really selling was a counterfeit product. So these are some of the trends that we're seeing. Other things are like using fake names, using fake invoices and infringing packaging, setting up uh, spoofed websites that look like rights owners to redirect customer traffic. So all of these attacks threaten the customer experience throughout the retail sector, and they harm the reputation and competitiveness of honest sellers. And for us, we, you know, we value our customers and we work each day to make sure that they have a trusted shopping experience. And the thinking around that is very simple. We think customer trust is hard to earn and easy to lose. So our approach has been to create more opportunities for investment. We invested over $700 million in 2020 and dedicated more than 10,000 employees to stopping fraud and abuse. And we are providing our customers with a trustworthy shopping experience. And as a result of those investments, less than 0.01% of the products sold on Amazon received a counterfeit complaint from a customer. So we're definitely proud of the progress we've made, but we will not rest until we have driven counterfeits down to zero. And, you know, when I think about how we're going to like combat these in the future, we see these changes coming. We see how bad actors kind of evolve and adapt and try new things. We are thinking about approaching um, our work a little differently, too. So we have like three strategies that I'd love to share with you. First, we use a combination of advanced machine learning and expert human investigators. And we protect our store proactively from bad actors and bad products. And with these proactive tools, we can block suspected bad listings. So in 2020, that number was up to 10 billion suspected bad listings, and that was stopped before they were even published. So another way that we are combating these threats is 
by developing powerful industry-leading tools that help brands manage and protect their intellectual property. So for instance, we have this program called Project Zero. And Project Zero enables brands to directly remove infringing products from our store. We also have a product serialization tool, and that's called Transparency. And that lets brands apply serialization on their own products to make sure that Amazon and our selling partners ship only authentic products. And then the third thing we do is to combat these threats by having close collaboration with brands and governments around the world. And we do that to hold counterfeiters accountable. When we share information with law enforcement to support their criminal prosecutions, and then we also pursue our own civil litigation with brands. So these are some of the ways that we're responding to the challenge and we'll continue to innovate and be industry leaders as the bad actors inevitably try to come up with their own ways to continue to do what they do. But we'll uh, work to stay one step ahead of them. Well, I mean, it's clear to me, at least, that on a platform that's operating at the scale that you are, you know, people might hear, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars dedicated to trust and safety, thousands of employees dedicated to going after counterfeiters. But when you talk about the scale that Amazon is operating at, you realize, I think, that that seems to be necessary given the the amount of, of stuff that's going through the Amazon platform. I'd be remiss, too, that if, if folks who are interested in learning more about the, this counterfeit topic, uh, I'm going to do a shout out back to a previous episode of the podcast back in May of last year, where we talked to Dr. Jake Kennedy from Michigan State University. Fascinating conversation about the different reasons that people buy counterfeits. You know, you talked about the impact of influencers on this. So that, that's a great conversation. So if you want to dig more into this, that's available in the uh, archives of the podcast. Before I move over to, to talking about product liability, you know, one of the things that we hear about in the advocacy community is the importance of different actors in uh, different industry sectors working together to share information. You talked a little bit about that earlier around, I think, fake reviews specifically. And, you know, if it's, it's getting into the, the alphabet soup we tend to do in DC. These are, these are groups that are called ISACs, information sharing something, something. Basically, these are, these are hubs where different organizations can share threat information. Um, it started out in the, in the financial services sector. The FS ISAC was the first one. Uh, and I know that there's been different ones that have been created since then. Is Amazon part of the retail ISAC? And is this kind of these conversations happening at that level too around user reviews and counterfeiting and things like that? Well, in the counterfeit space, we are working um, through the National IPR Center to help figure out best practices for how we're going to share information uh, amongst the private sector community. And we're taking the learnings there to determine Number one, what are the trends that we're seeing? So some of the things that I talked about earlier. And number two, like what's the best way to share information and at what cadence? So those are the things that we are uh, participating in at the moment. We've also worked to try and bring a solution to the table. So you may have seen last year uh, that we unveiled our blueprint for public and private partnerships to stop counterfeit. And this was a list of recommendations for things that we felt both the public and private sector could do working together. So I think what was really powerful about that was that it provided 
uh, a way for people to think about things that we could be doing together. So one of the things we said was that we thought uh, exchanging information on counterfeit activity would help stop counterfeits at the border. So instead of them even getting into platforms or wherever they may land, we're stopping them uh, at the border. And we saw an example of that uh, in our own work through our counterfeit crimes unit. And the counterfeit crimes unit last year provided information to CBP and to the Homeland Security Investigations Agency. And they helped block a shipment of counterfeit goods that was worth millions of dollars from passing through a U.S.-based logistics provider. So stopping it at the border. And then we've also seen how the power of information sharing works in reverse. In 2020, we got a tip from CBP about a shipment of earbud case covers that they had seized that had unauthorized logos on them. So we immediately quarantined the counterfeiters inventory in our fulfillment network and terminated their accounts. Then the CCU worked with the rights owners and they sued the 13 counterfeiters in court. So we we saw how that worked. And also in this blueprint, we called for all marketplaces and logistics providers to share information on counterfeit activity with customs to help with the detention and seizure efforts. There's also more room for uh, data sharing. We think that industry can uh, share information about the counterfeiters that they've blocked themselves. And that's where our work with the National IPR Center came in. And we're taking away some learnings from that pilot program that we did over the last two years. And the last thing we think we need is more funds for law enforcement. We'd really like to see more funding for training and modernizing the counterfeit crimes investigations and prosecution units. Obviously, these additional resources can help catch and prosecute counterfeiters and help protect consumers from bad actors. So there are a couple of different ways we see this working, but really the information sharing is is a key pillar of, of how we think we can solve this problem. Got it. Let's shift gears a little bit now to, to product liability. Whenever I start talking about liability with companies, uh, I can start seeing sort of antennae quiver, whether we're talking about Amazon or any other company, because nobody wants to sort of increase the, the risk that they face uh, as a company, particularly when you're selling products directly to consumers. But at the same time, you know, I keep coming back to this, but Amazon and other platforms are selling at scale. They've gotten even bigger during the pandemic. And so unfortunately, you know, people are going to buy things on these platforms that are going to end up being defective and, and even dangerous. How does Amazon deal with that? How do you handle sort of product safety issues so that when consumers buy something from Amazon, you know, they can be confident that it's going to be safe to bring into their home? Well, yeah, we agree. Customers should have the confidence to know that they are going to be buying safe and quality products in our store. And if you remember, or you may have heard, uh, we launched um, something called the A to Z Guarantee. And the A to Z Guarantee was created more than 20 years ago. And for this very reason, to protect customers when they were buying something sold and fulfilled by our third-party sellers. And we did this to give our selling partners peace of mind, to give customers peace of mind, because they knew that Amazon 
would provide a convenient return and refund process for any issues related to the timely delivery or the condition of the product that they've ordered. And today, more than half the products in our store come from small and medium-sized businesses. And those businesses create millions of jobs and opportunities in their communities. So we see that people support these businesses and we want to continue to give them peace of mind. Last year, we expanded the A to Z guarantee. And this expansion assists customers in the unlikely event a defective product sold in our store causes property damage or bodily injury. And so this includes products sold by Amazon and our third-party sellers. So we think you know this expansion protects our customers and they can shop with even more confidence. We want the process to be as seamless as possible. Um, and so we designed it uh, to be so. So I'll kind of throw out how it works. So if in the unlikely event, a defective product sold in our store causes property damage or bodily injury, customers can contact our customer service team to provide information about the issue. And we'll notify the seller and facilitate a resolution between the customer, the seller, and the seller's insurance providers based on insurance industry standards and best practices. And if the seller doesn't respond to a claim in a timely manner, we're going to step in as Amazon to directly address the immediate customer concern. And we'll work separately with the seller to address the issue. And if we're unable to do so, there's a challenge there, then we may bear the cost ourselves. And and this doesn't take away from the customer's ability to pursue their claims through the legal system, but we think the streamlined process uh, helps in a lot of ways. It saves time, money, and effort for the customers and the sellers. So this is something um, that's always represented Amazon standing behind the products that we sell. And we think the expansion of the A to Z guarantee to cover new types of claims uh, builds on that foundation and will help build customer confidence when they shop in our store. Well, uh, it's great, I think, to see programs like the A to Z guarantee out there. Um, You know, I I wouldn't be a consumer advocate if I didn't sort of also point out that there needs to be uh, sort of backstops on that. And I think when we're talking about product safety, uh, we're talking about the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Can you share how Amazon works with agencies like the CPSC to augment what you're already doing or at least or hold you accountable or however you want to term it? Yeah, um, we do work with the CPSC. The individual product liability claims that I was describing under the A Z guarantee are different from the work that the CPSC does, particularly around recalls in which, you know, every unit of a product might be effective. But we constantly share information with CPSC about product safety concerns that we learn about. And we learn about these through several external sources. It could be from customer reviews. It could be from contacts to Amazon's customer service, et cetera. So when appropriate, we work with the agency and we come up with um, suitable remedies with them. And we also receive information from agencies like the CPSC. And so we're continuously monitoring and reviewing in real time a variety of sources, particularly for recall notifications. And this could be anything from 
uh, regulatory announcements and direct contacts from manufacturers and sellers and information from other sources. So in the instance of a recall, we have cutting edge technology and that lets us immediately remove the product prevent further sales, and we can notify our customers that they need to dispose of that product or return it to the original manufacturer or seller. And we feel like we've uh, got direct access and a direct connection with our customers, and we can provide them with specific email recall notices to the exact customer who brought a product, which leads to much more effective recalls. So you know, we see CPSC as playing a critical role, uh, and we've worked really hard to make sure that we're sharing relevant information uh, on safety with them and that we're helping them execute recalls in ways that we think are highly effective thanks to our technology. Well, uh, Alyssa, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. You know, I, I have just you know one more question, and you know, we always try and I always try and make sure that whenever I'm writing anything for a consumer audience in particular, that we kind of leave them with sort of news you can use, for lack of a better term. And what I want to ask you about are, are these these sort of the sort of wave of emails and calls and text messages that consumers have been getting. And, we, and we've done fraud alerts about this at fraud.org from people claiming to be Amazon, saying your package has arrived or your package is delayed or you know, contact us about your package, click on this link, and next thing you know, you're getting defrauded. I assume Amazon is aware about of this. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing to, to address it and what consumers should know about the emails or notifications they should expect to get from the legitimate Amazon? Absolutely. Well, any customer that gets a questionable email or call or text from someone who is unexpected and identifying themselves as being from Amazon should avoid sharing personal information. Uh, as a first step, we encourage our customers to check their Amazon order history to confirm that the message is related to a product they've ordered or a service they've subscribed to before taking any further action. And from there, if they determine that they've received some sort of suspicious outreach, we offer multiple ways for customers to report this activity. So we launched a proactive customer self-service reporting tool. And we did that to provide a simple and speedy and standardized reporting mechanism for impacted people out there who are hearing from these scammers. And so uh, it works pretty simply when a customer is logged into their Amazon account, visit the customer service page for security and privacy. And from there, they can follow the tabs and report the suspicious phone call or email or text that they received. And like you, I'm all about providing some actionable information. So Amazon is working to educate customers on the steps that uh, they can take to protect themselves. And so I would love to share just a few with you and your listeners that we can all keep in mind, uh, especially during National Consumer Awareness Week and keep ourselves protected. So first, I would say don't open any attachments or click any links from suspicious emails or text messages. Second, be suspicious of an order confirmation from an item you didn't purchase or a subscription service you aren't subscribed to. And lastly, legitimate sales or transactions will not require you to pay specifically with gift cards. 
So we take fraud, scam, and phishing and spoofing attempts very seriously. We encourage our customers to follow these tips and to report anything uh, suspicious that they're getting outreach for. Great. And we will be sure to include those tips in the show description for this episode. I, I guess I just would just like to end, Alyssa, by saying thank you to you and to all your colleagues for what you're doing to try and protect consumers, both consumers who shop on Amazon, as well as what you're doing with other folks in the industry to try and crack down on these bad actors. You know, one thing I've learned from almost 13 years of working on fraud is that the job is never done. The scammers are smart. They'll keep innovating. And I think we're going to have to have many more conversations like this with you and with your colleagues to make sure that consumers are armed with the information they need to spot these scams and continue to push for strong protections to make sure that we, we continue to be hopefully one step ahead of the scammers. But for now, we're going to end it. I want to thank you, Alyssa, again, for being our guest on the We Can Do This podcast. And if uh, you all uh, online have any questions coming after you've heard this podcast, feel free to post them onto NCL's Facebook page. We're on Instagram. Uh, We're on Twitter at at NCL underscore tweets. And uh, we will be sure to try and get back to you as quickly as I can. But Alyssa, thank you again. And we will talk to you all again soon. Thank you so much, John. I really enjoyed talking with you and look forward to working with you in the future and maybe even another podcast next year. Thanks for listening to We Can Do This, a production of the National Consumers League. We Can Do This is a member of the District Productive. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred podcast app. And hey, tell your friends about us. We love feedback, so give us a rating or review. You can also talk to us through the National Consumers League's Facebook page or on Twitter at NCL underscore tweets. That's NCL underscore tweets. Still can't get enough? Visit nclnet.org. That's N-C-L-N-E-T dot O-R-G to learn about our rich history in fighting for consumers and workers' rights our current leadership, our education and advocacy programs, and to discover ways for you to make a difference in the world. Remember, we can do this.